Well, thank you, John. Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to be with you guys this morning. Again, my name is Jordan, and I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Connection Church. And uh, I want to start, uh, as we continue this series on Summer at Connection, and answering the question, what's one thing you could do that would make the biggest impact on the kingdom? I wanted to share a couple of stories from my trip to Turkey here. I, I went to Turkey in, in May along with a couple of different teams, and I wanted to share a few things that I got to see and, and what a few of the stories that we got to, uh, got to witness and encounter. But first, I'm going to need a volunteer. God, thank you so much for volunteering to be a volunteer. You can stay right there. You're good right there, right where you are. All you have to do, it's going to be yes or no questions. That's all. I'm going to tell you a story, and all you got to do is respond yes or no. I want to tell you a story about a lady named Sehan. So we are getting a chance on, on the team that I went with. We got to go to a part of Turkey that the missionary that we've partnered with had never been to before. Turkey is a country that's bigger than the state of Texas, uh, and there's just so much ground to cover. It's one of the most historically rich cities in all of the earth. And we're getting to go to a place, which is really cool for me, getting to go to a place alongside this missionary that he had never been to before. So we pull into this city, and we're driving. We're just kind of checking it out, seeing, um, seeing what the town is like and everything. And we see a dessert place. Of course, sign me up. And uh, so we see it. We go to make a turn to try to find some parking. No parking there. Drive a little further. Pull into a parking spot. We get out, and of course, instead of a dessert place, we see a hamburger restaurant. I don't know about you, but if I go to a barbecue place, I don't want to eat anything other than barbecue. I want to eat, you know what I mean? So if I'm in Turkey, I want to eat Turkish food. I don't want to eat American food in Turkey, but that's just me. Neither here nor there, sorry. Uh, so back to Sehan. So we walk in to this hamburger place, and pretty crowded place, and a lot of folks sitting there eating and whatnot, and so we're... It, it, our normal pattern is going something like sit down, enjoy our meal, and if we get a chance to start a conversation, we'll start a conversation with somebody and try to share the gospel with them. And if it's a really crowded place, it's an opportunity for us to cause the scene or somebody to get really upset about what we're saying, and we don't want that. So uh, we just kind of felt from the beginning, maybe this isn't going to work out. But this is where the yes or no comes in. So what we would commonly see is we would sit down in a place like this, and we would order our food. And by the time we finish our entree, they'll bring you tea. And right about the time, consistently, when they would bring us tea, the restaurant would clear out. And what we began to notice is that the Holy Spirit would open up these opportunities, moving people that either were going to be unfavorable, and in this case, it was a police officer and his family, moved them out of the restaurant to where... The waitress stepped outside, the, every other patron that was there stepped outside, and it was just us and the owner. And that's Sehan. And Sehan began to share with us, as we began to share the gospel with her, she began to cry, and she began to share with us that uh, my husband left me, I opened this restaurant to try to make ends meet for me and my kids, and everything I do is for them, and life is really hard. And you thought you were coming here, this is a direct quote from her, you thought you were coming here to eat food, but you were here because I cried out to God for help, and he sent you. Now, the yes or no part for you guys is this. Yes, that seems extremely easy to believe, or no, that, I could see where that would be hard to believe. Okay, praise God. All right, let's increase it one level. 
So we are, I want to tell you a story about a guy named John. John is not his real name. But John is in the city of Ephesus, book of Ephesians, the whole deal. That We're in that city. And we get to meet John. And John has this dream. He's a really wealthy, well-to-do guy, which is very rare in Turkey. And this guy is, uh, tells us the story about how he was sleeping one night and he has this dream. And in this dream, 13, sorry, 12 figures in white start walking towards him. And he looks around and he realizes he's in his own store. So he knows, okay, some, I'm, some, God is trying to tell me something. Devout Muslim, and he would say he loves God. And he gets this sense that God's trying to tell him something through his dream. From behind those 12, a 13th figure in white steps from behind them and starts walking towards John. And the figure says, my name is Jesus, the Messiah. In, his, in his real life, he starts reacting to the dream and he starts making noises and kind of moving around. And his wife begins to shake him to wake up. And in the, he's in the dream and he's wanting to stay in the dream. And his wife, of course, as he's resisting her, shakes him even harder. And he wakes up and he starts crying. And he tells her, I just met Jesus, the Messiah. A couple weeks go by and he actually encounters the missionary that we were there with. And the missionary begins to share the gospel with him. And he says, yeah, I'm in. And he's got to come back. And the missionary's like, wait, wait a second. What do you mean by that? Very surprising. If you're not, not often as a missionary that you're in a place that doesn't even know anything about the gospel, that somebody responds to you, yeah, Jesus has to come back. And he said, well, I had a dream and I met him. And he didn't finish what he was saying because my wife woke me up from my dream. So he has to come back, right? And he goes all in, full, loving Jesus, follower of Jesus. Now, regarding the dream, yes, that seems completely believable, or no, it's kind of hard to believe. No, it, thank you. In that moment, for me as well, I'm just like, God, that seems kind of hard to believe. I mean, how many of you Jesus has appeared to in a dream? Maybe not open that can of worms. Let's just stick with it. I'll just me and you, God. We'll stay right here. All right, one more time, one more story. This guy named, we'll call him Bobby. Bobby is working in the north part of Turkey. He struggles with alcohol, wants to be a good and faithful Muslim because he loves God, but has completely lost his way. There's, earthquakes are pretty frequent in Turkey, and an earthquake happens, and his wife dies. He's working up on the Black Sea in the forest, really struggling at this point after his wife passes. And he's out in a field, and he gets beat up by some coworkers and left there. And in the midst of being beat up and left there, Bobby sees the sky tore completely open. Now, we have precedence of this happening in Scripture. But Bobby sees the sky tore completely open, and a figure steps through and says, I'm Jesus the Messiah. And Bobby gets up, the figure goes away, and he struggles with alcoholism for two more years. Finally meets a Christian, somebody who's a follower of Jesus. They give him a Bible and share the gospel with him. And he said, I'm in. I believe. I don't understand what all of this peace is that I have coming over me all of a sudden. 
But I believe because I've seen him. Yes, that seems extremely easy to believe, or no, that seems kind of hard to believe. I agree with you, God. It seems hard to believe. Yes, everything in my heart says absolutely. And the missionary, when I was riding with him, he looked at all of us in the van and said, seems hard to believe, doesn't it? And he has countless stories like this. And I knew enough in my head to say, yeah, yeah, definitely. There's no doubt Jesus could do this. But in my heart, what I felt was, I believe that Jesus could do that here. I don't think Jesus could do that where I'm from. In my heart, I'm wrestling with this in what I see. And the question as we get into today's message, going global with our faith, the one thing that I believe in this series that would make the biggest impact on the kingdom is if each and every one of us went global with our faith. We expanded our faith to include the entire globe. Why do supernatural stories like this seem so hard to believe? In my case, the reason it's so hard to believe is because I put a limitation on God only doing what I can understand locally. I put God in this little box, and maybe you have too, of I I can only express what I see God do where I am. But there is also another very real possibility. It could be that the Jesus that you have followed maybe your entire life or have said that you believe is the same Jesus actually, this would be really challenging, that every Muslim also believes in. Every Muslim believes that Jesus was real, that God is holy, that they are not, and that Jesus will return. The difference is they do not believe in any aspect of Jesus that is supernatural. And the problem with that, and the problem with that for us, is that Jesus as a man was supernatural, his message was supernatural, and the mission he calls us to is supernatural. So this morning I want to look at this Jesus, the man, his message, and the mission. The main point of this is that G, the main point, we're going to look at John chapter 12, verses 20 through 33. And the main point that I want to drive home today is that Jesus will never settle for less than the whole world. He will not settle for less than the whole world. Another way to say that is that Jesus has made us promises that his love is for the entire world. And we as his followers need to follow that. This is what I believe. The man and the message of Jesus reveal his heart for the entire world, and the mission that he calls us to fulfills his heart for the entire world. Let me read John chapter 20 verses, John chapter 12 verses 20 through 33. Now some Greeks were among those who had come up to worship at the festival. They went to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and told him, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. I want to make a comment this is not just some folks traveling over from Greece. This is, this, in this context, is any person who is non-Jewish, anybody in the entire Greek uh, empire that could have been there, that this John is revealing to us, some Greek peoples came up to Philip, and Philip went to Andrew, and those two went to Jesus, saying these people that are non-Jewish want to meet Jesus. So this is... A cause and effect reality. The cause 
People other than Jewish people want to see Jesus. Here is Jesus' response. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That is significant because all through the book of John so far, Jesus has consistently uh, resisted, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. All the way from the turning of water into wine, all the way up until now, my hour has not yet come. Non-Jewish people, the nations, appear on the scene. Now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I tell all of you emphatically, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces a lot of grain. The one who loves his life will destroy it, and the one who hates his life in this world will preserve it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is in turmoil. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it. The crowd standing there heard this supernatural event. Supernatural event. The crowd standing there heard this and said that it was thunder. I probably would have been in that crowd, unfortunately. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. Jesus replied, this voice is for your benefit, not for mine. Now is the time for the judgment of this world to begin. Now the ruler of this world will be thrown out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth... I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was about to die. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I pray that you would invite us this morning into the supernatural man that was Jesus, that is Jesus. I pray that we would understand this supernatural message that you've proclaimed to us. God, help us to resist trying to wiggle around the implications of this message. Help us to not wiggle around the implications of a supernatural mission that you've called us to. God, help us to see more of your glory through your word together as a body. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So this was a supernatural man. This was a man who had a vision for the entire world. Let's look at verse 23. Jesus told them the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. If, if you're unfamiliar, Son of Man was this Old Testament moniker that was reserved for the Messiah that was to come. In other words, what I want you to understand here is that Jesus is being really clear about who he sees himself as. Regardless of what we would see Jesus as, regardless of what we would twist Jesus into being, regardless of what other people would twist Jesus into being, Jesus saw himself as the Messiah. And that name, that title, that representation matters. He was coming for a specific reason. And it says in the text that Jesus says, I need to be lifted up. And it John is clear. He's, he's talking about the type of death that he is needing to die, meaning he needed to be crucified and lifted up as our sacrifice for sin. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is 
This was an Old, Te- Old Testament foreshadowing of the person of Jesus or the Messiah. And Jesus is clearly aligning himself as that person. He's not shying away from being the Messiah. And this is where the reality of this really kicks in. How can we be so sure? The religious leaders felt so sure about it that they crucified him for it. Jesus wasn't dying for some moral title. He was dying as the Messiah to pay for our sin that we could not pay for. What about the message? We see that the man was clearly representing a heart. And I want to to reemphasize this. He says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. All people, not just my disciples, not just the people that look the most like me, not just the people in this country, all people to myself. But what about the message? Let's look at verse 30. Jesus replied, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for the judgment of this world to begin. Now the ruler of this world will be thrown out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the type of death that he was about to die. If I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. He is making a really clear indication. If, we, if somebody were to twist the man of Jesus, they can't twist this message. It is really clear over and over and over again in all of the Gospels that Jesus' message was that I am dying for all that they may all be drawn back to the Father. John 20, verse 30 through 31, this is after the crucifixion of Jesus. John is saying something very, very clear, very, very clear to us, the reader, which would be anybody that came after the disciples. He says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not recorded in this book. John is saying there's a bunch of other stuff that Jesus did and all of it is noteworthy and it could fill up a bunch of other books. So why did he include what he did? Verse 31, but these have been recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and so that through believing you may have life in his name. The message is nothing short of our salvation. It is not just a simple feel-better type message. It's not just to meant to make you feel better so that when you walk out of here, you're a little bit better. It's meant to transform you from the inside out so that through believing, you may have life in the name of Jesus. John recorded the events that he did, including this scene with this encounter with some, these Greek people that walk up to Andrew and Philip. It's an indication that you might believe and what Jesus did, but also this message that he proclaimed and to see that his heart was for all the nations. Matthew 28, 18, this is at the end. If, if you don't believe John, let's see what Matthew has to say. Matthew 28, 18, then Jesus approached them. This is after Jesus is crucified. This is after Jesus is resurrected from the dead. He gathers together his disciples and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Jesus' message is not just everything that he said before he was crucified. It's also what he had to say after he was crucified and what he proclaimed to the disciples as an inheritance that was the message for every believer that would come after him. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All power and authority belongs to Jesus. He's the new king. His message didn't stop at the cross. His message is also our commissioning. While we may minimize the message of Jesus to individual salvation and a get-out-of-hell-free card, Jesus did not mix his world words. The world is his. Sure, we are saved into this relationship with Jesus, but we cannot let that message stop with us because somebody was faithful to not let it stop with them. It's one of the reasons why our vision as Connection Church is to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God. It can't just stop in Statesboro. We have, it's not just a responsibility, it is our great inheritance to proclaim this message. And this is what's so beautiful about it. God has reserved special blessings for those who go. I want you to look at verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. This is John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. God has reserved special blessings for his people that go. And listen, going is not just getting on a plane and changing your continent and your address and the language that you speak. It is a posture that you live with right here. I can make it even more simple. You are either sent to another part of the world or you are sent right here. Connect, equip, and send. It's not just maybe I live in connect, maybe I live in equip, maybe I live in send. It is all of it. You are connected here. You are equipped here. And then if by God's grace and clear indication you are sent here. That is a different type of life. We see this with the disciples. Some of the disciples never left Jerusalem. James, there's clear indication maybe from church history that he might have not ever left Jerusalem, but a lot of other ones did. Let's look at the mission. I'm getting ahead of myself. The mission. We've looked at the man. We've looked at the message. Let's look at the mission. John 12, 24 through 26. Truly, I tell all of you emphatically, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces a lot of grain. The one who loves his life will destroy it, and the one who hates his life in this world will preserve it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This verse has been just really heavy on my heart this week as I thought about this. It's what God used to compel me to John chapter 12 to think about this message. And I want to try to illustrate something that I see here. So clearly a huge part 
of this message is that Jesus was that seed that fell to the earth on our behalf and in dying on our behalf produced a great harvest of righteousness. Look to your left and to your right of people who are followers of Jesus to see this verse in reality. His dying on our behalf produced a great harvest of righteousness. Your righteousness, my righteousness, people that have not yet placed faith in Jesus. Baptisms are an indication of this verse coming true. But we also have the opportunity to be the seed ourselves. And I don't mean, so by each of us individually, but each church has the chance to be the seed that dies on behalf of a greater harvest of righteousness. I want you to imagine a farmer taking a handful of seed and he goes to a field that's already plowed and it's ready to be planted. And he goes to the corner and he takes his little seed and he sets it at the corner and then he pulls out an umbrella. He pops up his umbrella and he just kind of kneels down over this seed and he's just kind of hanging out there. You're like, what are you doing, farmer? I said, well, I don't want anything to happen to my seed. So, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? Well, some, it could rain. Some rain could get on the seed. That's not a good thing. Well, well some sunlight. So it could get a little hot on the seed. I need to protect it from the sunlight. Or, hey, something could come and trample down on my seed. I don't want it to damage the seed. Go, like, well, Farmer, you've missed the whole point of what the purpose of the seed is. It needs the sunshine. It needs the rain. It needs the ground to produce something that's inside of the seed. And we can get overly fixated on the life of the seed and miss out on the harvest that could come from it enduring the conditions that it needs. Let me give you an illustration. For the trip that we took to Turkey, for four people, three different teams, took a little over $48,000 in order to pull it off, to travel, to do everything that we needed to do. And every dollar was raised by people's generosity here. They sowed seed sacrificially into the global mission effort of our church. That blows me away. I could have filled up my car with $48,000. But people gave sacrificially to see, a, see something greater that they just get to hear about I, in faith. So our salvation through the man Jesus is by faith. Our belief in his message is by faith. And our participation in the mission is by faith. Sowing seed takes sacrifice and what something is going to grow in your life seed is being planted and spread in your life and the question is is it the seed of Jesus because if we limit Jesus just to the man that we want him to be and the message we wish he brought and the mission we wish he would have commissioned us on that may not be the Jesus that he represents. And I want to I celebrate that about our church with the, with the trip, but I want to tell you another story. And this has been on my heart really heavy this week as I think about this. What seed you sow 
is the steps to your legacy. Whatever you sow seed into, that is going to be a fruit of your legacy. This week, a, a mentor and a friend of mine is being railroaded out of his church. And this is somebody who really, aside from Connection Church and Brandon, is who really introduced me to preaching God's word and the love for missions and the love for church planting. And after doing this for 30 plus years, leading this church, loving this church, caring for these people, countless funerals, countless weddings, countless mission trips, their little board of deacons and members said, we want you out of here. We pay you too much to preach as little as you do. That church is going to harvest a certain type of seed and inheritance. And that breaks my heart. And it makes me want to make sure we as a church continue on the path that we are on to have a different type of legacy than that. This church that I'm referring to has planted well over 20 churches, has sent out multiple missionaries, has given, I'm not exaggerating, probably well over a million dollars towards church planting and missions. And this, I really don't know what to say other than a hostile takeover is going to leave a very different legacy. But what thrills my heart is to sit in a room with all of our Connection Network pastors and to see we are hungry to plant 50 churches by the year 2050. We want to see an entire unreached people group engaged and transformed by the gospel in our lifetime. That can be our legacy. But I want to challenge you with this. It's something I felt like the Lord told me to say at the nine. This is what I want to encourage us with in this. Every church will die. At some point in time, Connection Church Statesboro will cease to exist. It may not be in my lifetime, it may not be in your lifetime. But I want, to, I want to illustrate it with this. On the cross, Jesus looks down at the disciple whom he loved, John, and said, Son, behold your mother. And he's talking about his own mother, Mary. And from the day that Jesus was crucified and ascended into heaven, John and Mary were always together. And church history tells us that they moved to Ephesus and John cared for her until she died. And he stayed there in, in Ephesus, pastoring, preaching, sending people out until he died. But you want me to tell you what's not there anymore? The church that John pastored. If you would have thought any church was going to make it, surely it would be John's churches. Surely it would be Paul's churches. Churches have life cycles because we're filled with people who have placed faith in Jesus because we are broken. Because we are sinful, we are not some holy, permanent organization that's always going to get everything right. And so what we sow seed into, that will become our legacy. Because you know the thing that still exists today are the disciples that John made and the disciples that they made and the churches that they planted and the, the missionaries that they sent out. And here's the evidence of it. We are sitting in this room 
two continents away, worshiping Jesus. The same Jesus that John earned the title, the disciple whom Jesus loved from, is the same Lord and Savior that you and I have. And we can continue that to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation, not by counting the biggest worship services we've ever hosted, but how how many churches we have planted and how many disciples we have made and how many missionaries we sent out. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, as you go, disciple people in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It was a global man, a global message, and a global mission. Faith in Jesus is belief in a supernatural event about a supernatural person that calls us to participate in supernatural ways. And the question that we have to ask is, are we convinced? Are you convinced about that Jesus? Not the Jesus maybe that you've always thought you knew, or maybe even the Jesus that your parents introduced you to. Have you met the supernatural Jesus and his supernatural message? If you've been convinced, then you need to be connected. You need to be connected to this Jesus every single day, but you also need to be connected to Jesus' people, and that's why we emphasize heart and soul. Also, if you've been convinced, then you are commissioned. You are commissioned. The mission isn't a burden to carry. It's your one single greatest calling in life to participate in the mission of God. If you've been commissioned, then you need to be equipped and sent. It's why we put so much emphasis on it here at our church that we desire for you to be connected, equipped, and sent Maybe you are convinced. Maybe you'd say you believe Jesus was a man with a global message that generated a global mission, but now you're wondering, what do I do? What do I do now? I want you to watch this video, then I've got a few points of application for us. In the beginning, God created everything. He created a world full of people to know him and to be known by him. This is the story of the Bible, God bringing people to himself. And when we read the Bible, we see how God went to great lengths to do this and how much God cares about people knowing him. You most likely already know this. And you probably live somewhere where people have a general understanding of this great love story between God and humanity. And if they don't know yet, there's probably somebody in town who can tell them. But did you also know that there are three billion people who will live and die without ever hearing this story? Not because they don't care, but because they don't have a choice. Nobody ever told them that once upon a time, God became a human just like them, so that he could teach them how to know their creator. 40% of the world doesn't know this, and they won't know this. Not unless something changes. Not unless someone goes to tell them. Jesus is our wonderful example. He left his natural home to come to us, and then he tells us to do the same thing. Because we love Jesus and care about the same things that he cares about, we care about this, that the whole world would know him, that every tongue, tribe, and people group would come and be able to worship him. So the question is, are we doing this? Going out into the world to bring the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation? Well, kind of. While churches do send people out, almost half the world still doesn't have any access to the gospel. But how is this possible? Aren't there people being sent? Well, yeah, 
There are about 400,000 people serving across the world today, but only 3% of them are actually going to the 40% who have never heard about Jesus. The other 97%, they're going to places that have already heard about Jesus. There's an imbalance. That imbalance leaves only one person for each 250,000 people who have never heard about Jesus. Put another way, we have a spirit-led calling to rethink our focus. When you look at how we use our resources, such as money, the picture doesn't look that much better. To be specific, Christians around the world are giving about 2% of their income to Christian causes. And less than 7% of that is going to cross-cultural workers. And of that cross-cultural giving, only one one-hundredth of that 0.1% is actually going to those working with the three billion people who don't know Jesus, have no church, or any Christian neighbors. The other 99% of all cross-cultural giving goes to the rest of the world that already has Christians, Bibles, and churches. Are you seeing the imbalance? Only 3% of our workers with only 1% of our cross-cultural finances are going to the 3 billion people who have never heard about Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves, are we okay with this? We want those 3 billion people to hear about the kingdom of God and how much God loves them. There are 17,000 ethno-linguistic groups in the world. People who share language, culture, and common history. 7,000 of them are considered unreached people groups. These are entire cultures who have never heard the amazing story of how Jesus loves them and came to save them. God has called us to pay attention to this, to love and care for the same things that he does. He put this desire on our heart. To see the unreached, reached with the amazing story of the love of God. We want to see lasting local church planning movements begin among these people groups. That brings renewal and transformation among these cultures and societies. Why? Because God has moved our hearts to see the gospel transform whole societies among the unreached. We know this task is bigger than us. Many of the areas that are in need of the gospel are difficult and resistant places. It isn't something that can be accomplished overnight, but by the power of the Spirit, we endeavor to preach the gospel where Christ is not known so that God can be worshiped by all peoples. Well, I'm not really good at math, but that doesn't add up. That is a daunting reality, and it is an overwhelming reality. And what I want to encourage us with is that we have the opportunity to be the kind of church that makes a significant and real difference. But it will take sacrifice. It will take sacrifice to sow the type of seed into the things that multiply the gospel around the world just as it multiplies disciples in this room. There's a very real step-by-step kind of reality that we can see of as we as we are discipled, as we turn around and make disciples, as we plant churches locally, we can in, impact the world globally. If we as one church seek to make a difference in one unreached people group, then as this connection network grows, 50 churches impacting 50 different unreached people groups, now we're starting to talk about something. And I don't want to give up on that just because that feels really hard. I want to pursue that and make that our life's legacy as a church. My invitation is for us all individually, but also as a church, to continue to go global with our faith. 
Give generously. Regular giving advances our global capability. But don't just give. Cheer loudly. Cheer loudly for those who are going. That was one of the biggest blessings of this trip to Turkey. As people came up and said, I want to hear about your trip that I didn't even know I was, no, they knew that I was going. Cheer loudly. Global vision and global mission take sacrifice. Encourage the teams with a loud voice because there is an enemy's voice. There's always going to be pushback to those things that make the greatest difference in the kingdom. The world is not going to celebrate us going global with our faith, but we can cheer one another on and be generous with our love and grace towards one another. I want to end on this with a story. I hope that you see that the man and his message generate a global mission and that we can be his people proclaiming his purposes with a strategic plan to fill the earth with the knowledge of a glorious God. A dad came to a pastor one time, not at our church, just a story and a pastor shared. This dad comes up and says, Pastor, I just, my daughter, she's 13 and you know, things have been really difficult at home here lately. And she's got this boyfriend. I don't really care for the boyfriend. She's, she's starting to dress in a way that's starting to make me real anxious. But she's a Christian. She says she's, she, she baptized her like a couple years ago. And, and we just don't understand where this is coming from. It just feels like she's getting more and more venomous towards me and my wife. And we don't understand what's happening. And the pastor asked this dad a question that you may not find intuitive. He asked him, well, how do you and your family participate in mission? He said, well, Pastor, I'm kind of just looking for advice on how to, like, counsel my daughter. Like, I don't know how this really pertains to, to this. He said, well, here's the reality. The world may be inviting your daughter into a more exciting life than your Christianity. We have a glorious Savior that proclaimed a wonderful message and he invites us into the greatest mission of all time. And we are missing both him and his message when we fail to participate in his mission. If you took one piece of application from today, I would just challenge you to pray and ask God, what short-term mission trip could I go on just to see what you're doing around the globe? It doesn't have to be getting on a plane and flying all the way to Turkey with me but it could be doing something different. We want to help walk with you through that, and I, I would love to talk to you about that. And I know a lot of other people that would love to talk to you about that and support you, help you financially with it, train you for it, prepare you for it, pray with you about it. Pray and ask, would God change your heart or empower you, encourage you, whatever it is that you need to consider going on a short-term mission trip just to see what our glorious God is doing somewhere else that's not just here locally, but around the world. Let me pray. Lord God, I pray that over our church this morning. God, every person that has heart and soul and has found Jesus to be this glorious Savior here at Connection Church, that they would get connected to your global mission and purposes. God, that they would know you better, that they would see how big of a heart their heavenly Father really has that they would get connected to this great message that Jesus proclaimed, that if he would be lifted up, he would draw all people to himself. God, we want to 
we want to hold you to that promise, and we want to be a part of that. So God, help us to know strategically, with wisdom, with grace, but with boldness to be able to participate in your mission. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.